Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nate, not only for praying for me, uh, but for introducing me as the untrained minister. That's uh, it's a good way to start off. Um, no, it is, re- it is such a privilege, uh, such an honor to be here with you this morning. Um, I have just loved getting to know Ryan, your pastor. I've loved, Nate is just a dear friend. Um, and so it's a joy for me to be here and, because I know all the exciting things God is doing in this congregation. And so thank you for having me. Uh, I, I'm just thrilled to be here. Uh, Before we jump into our text this morning, I just want to give you a little bit of the setting uh, for where we are. We'll we'll be looking at the book of Revelation, and uh, Revelation is is an unveiling, right? It's kind of a pulling back of the curtain to show you the big picture, the unseen realities, the whole story of what's going on. It's a vision given to the Apostle John while he was in exile, and the passage we're looking at this morning especially is meant to bring comfort. It was written to a group of persecuted Christians, and it gives them comfort and hope by giving them a glimpse of the future, a glimpse of heaven. So it's meant to spur us on to faithfulness in God's mission. And so I will pray for us before before we read God's word. Please pray with me. Our Father, thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, Uh, that you would teach us from your word this morning, that we would hear from you, Holy Spirit, that you would shape us in our thoughts and actions, that we would go from this place to glorify your name. Thank you for your word, uh, and Holy Spirit be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne And worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd." And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. So we, we live in a divided and disoriented world. And I don't think you have to look far to see the division in our world. Simply open up your favorite social media app, And it will be very apparent right off the bat. We live in a very divided world. 
Uh, We're divided ethnically, linguistically, socially, politically. Uh, We are a very divided people in this world. And we're also very disoriented. Uh, We don't really know what we want in this world. Uh, If you watch a movie, uh, just a popular movie, you'll find a lot of different visions of what the good life is, where we're all headed, what life is all about. And people are lost. We are lost. We are disoriented. And the promise of this passage is that that will not always be the case. That that is not the end of the story. You see, this this passage is giving us a glimpse of how the story ends. And so because we see how the story ends, because we know how the story ends, we can live our chapter well. That is what we see this morning. Because we know how the story ends, we can live our chapter well. And this passage shows, shows us how. And we'll see that in three ways. We'll look this morning at the unity, the division and disorientation, and the Lamb. So those will be our three points this morning. So we'll look first here at the unity. Uh, take a look at just this picture that you have in this passage at the beginning, of this multitude that no one can count. It's that large from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every people group on the earth, worshiping God, giving away themselves, celebrating, uh, not looking inward, but looking outward, right? And they're different. They're from all different places, yet they're unified. They're together, right? This passage is saying, take hope because God will fulfill his promise, to save all the nations of the, of the earth. The, the division, the persecution you're experiencing will not last forever. And so go, participate in God's global mission to create this global worshiping community. And, and why did they need this comforting? Because they were facing persecution. To pursue this kind of unity was not popular. And so they were persecuted. And God was giving them this comfort through this revelation that that will not be the end of the story. So it's meant to give them hope and endurance. And what I want to point out, you know, this picture of this uh, group of people that no one can number from all over the world, unified, not serving themselves, but giving away themselves, that that is really a picture of what the world is looking for. That is what the world wants. Uh, it's, it is this vision of difference yet unified, complete harmony, complete unity. It's what the world is looking for, yet we don't have it. We don't have it. And why is that? Why is it that we, and no, there's no other time in history where we've known more about each other, more about different kinds of people, more about different nations, languages, and yet there's probably no more time in history where we're more divided, where we're more angry with one another, more displeased with one another. So there's this beautiful picture in this passage of unity, yet we can't achieve it. We can't achieve it. Now, why is that? Why is it this vision we want so bad we can't have? Well, we have to see first our second point, the division and the the disorientation. You know, as human beings, we, we have an odd way of living in the world. Uh, sin has so distorted all of us, has so distorted this world, that um, we like to show partiality, something that the Bible reminds us God shows no partiality. 
And one of the ways that manifests itself most clearly is we like to be with people who are like us. I work with international students. So week in and week out, I gather a large group of international students from uh, five or six different continents, uh, several different countries, and I can tell you right now who they like to be with when we gather together, with people from their own country, people from their own culture, right? We like to be with people who are like us. And I want to note, there, there is an important place for that. If you're a persecuted minority, there is a place for that identifying and comfort. But it's so easy for us, for all of us, to go a step further from, you know, this is the way we do things, to this is the way everybody should do things. Uh, I see this all the time. I see it in myself. I see it in others. Right? We like to be with those that are like us. Uh, and it's, it's a quick step to this kind of despising those who are different from us. Right? There's a great uh, quote from C.S. Lewis, you know, the famous uh, English professor, great writer. Uh, and they asked him a question about life on other planets. Uh, I promise I'm not going to go into that this morning. <laughs> uh, but the way he answers this question is so interesting. Uh, and so hear what he says. They ask him, you know, about life on other planets. He says, I fear the practical, not the theoretical problems which will arise if we ever meet rational creatures which are not human. Against them we shall, if we can, commit all the crimes we have already committed against creatures certainly human, but differing from us in features and pigmentation. And the starry heavens will become an object to which good men can look up only with feelings of intolerable guilt agonized pity, and burning shame. It hurts to hear that. Do you hear what he's saying? I fear if we found other, other beings not like us that we'd commit all the atrocities we have always had throughout history towards those who were different. And he says this is the agonizing shame we all experience. This is the experience of humanity, the shame of division. And, you know, even in our good intentions, we often go wrong. Uh, there's, um, you know, working in cross-cultural ministry, there's a couple illustrations that you hear a lot and th- that I've used a lot. Um, one is the, the elephant and the giraffe illustration. So the, the uh, giraffe um, uh, invites the elephant over to his house. He's so excited, you know. He just met the elephant. He's excited to have the elephant over. And uh, the, he says, come to my house. I'm so excited to have you here. And the, the elephant gets to the door, and there's a problem already. Uh, the door is 15 feet high and about 3 feet wide. So he can't fit through the door. Uh, but the giraffe says, oh, it's okay, I got, you can come around the back. There's a big wide door there. So he's able to get into the house. And the giraffe says, I'm so glad you're here. Make yourself at home. And the elephant's very grateful for that. Yet another problem arises. All the cabinets are 15 feet high. All the doorways are too, are too narrow. He can't fit through. So what happened here? You know, the giraffe had good intentions, didn't he? But he had blind spots, right? He didn't notice that his house was built for a giraffe, not an elephant. And so even in our good intentions, we, we, things go wrong. Uh, an- another illustration that's often used is the monkey and the fish, right? There's a monkey, and uh, he sees a fish in the water, and he's thinking, oh my goodness, this creature in the water, it's drowning. I have to save it. So he grabs the fish, he puts it on the ground, and the fish, and he thinks to himself, oh, I've done a great deed today. 
I've saved this fish from drowning, right? Because in his mind, anything in the water, it was going to drown. He didn't understand what the fish needed. Even in his good intentions, things can go wrong. So it's hard. It's a hard, hard world we live in in this divided world. And like I said, not only are we divided, but we're also disoriented, right? We don't want to give our way, we don't want to give away ourselves, like you see in this passage, to celebrate something greater than us. We often want to serve ourselves, right? We want to be seen, even in our good deeds. You know, that's what, with Jesus, that was his main issue with the Pharisees, right? In many ways, the Pharisees did really good things, right? They, they did many uh, righteous acts, but his, he says, you do them to be seen. Right? You do them to serve yourself, not to give away yourself. You do them for your own glory, not for God's glory. And, you know, Jesus says, you find yourself by losing yourself. Right? That is the way that this true unity will come about. One of my favorite um, examples of this tendency we have in our culture today um, is uh, in a song uh, by the Fleet Foxes. I don't know if there are any Fleet Foxes fans. They're kind of an uh, American folk band. But there's this great uh, line from one of their songs. Uh, and it goes like this. Uh, the singer says, I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, like a snowflake distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way you can see. And now after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. But I don't, I don't know what that will be. I'll get back to you someday. Soon you will see. What's my name? What's my station? Oh, just tell me what I should do. Now this man who wrote this, he's not a, not a Christian. But you have to admire how he recognizes your whole life you've been told, find yourself, discover who you are, and live into that, right? Serve yourself. And he says, it's hopeless. I've tried that, and I found I would much rather be serving something greater than me. But we still can't seem to achieve this, even though we know these things. We know that this is not the way it ought to be. Right? We want to put our hope in ourselves instead of putting our hope in God, in this great vision we see here. I had a student I was talking to uh, just the other day, um, and, and he had just failed a very important exam. Uh, it was, uh, was kind of defining his career and whether or not he'd be able to continue his studies. And I was meeting with him, talking with him about it, and uh, it was just devastating for him. And uh, I told him, I asked him, I said, can I pray for you? And uh, he said immediately, he said, Fee, I can take care of myself. And that stuck out to me at first because I was a little shocked, but then I thought, you know what? That's me. <laughs> That's me every single day. I may not use those words, but isn't that all of us? God, I can take care of myself. Right? But we need God. We need this great thing outside of ourselves. So do you feel the weight of this? this great picture of unity, but we're so far from it. This great picture of celebrating, worshiping God, our true purpose, yet we're so far from it. So what do we do? What do we do about this? Where is our hope? Well, to see that, we'll look finally at the Lamb. We have to see the Lamb. 
the lamb in this passage. Now you see here, this is the lamb that this passage is referring to is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the lamb on the throne. And we may take for granted, if you grew up in church, if you grew up reading the Bible, you may not think much about the fact that he's called the lamb. But the lamb is an interesting choice. And here's why. This passage is full of of military imagery, of of a military victory. It talks about waving palm branches. That was a common military victory practice. Remember Jesus with the triumphal entry. These were things that were celebrating military victory. Um, And who is the victor? It's the lamb. Now, I am no expert in warfare. I I don't know much about ancient warfare practices. But I would have to imagine, if you were a Roman soldier, and you were ready to charge into battle, you were probably not like, let's get the lamb, and we're going into battle, right? The the lamb is not the choice for a military military attack. Yet John says we are victorious against the powers of evil and death through the Lamb. So, you know, you think about um, William Blake was a famous English poet, and he had these two poems, um, and one was about uh, the Lamb and one was about the tiger. And the Lamb is like beautiful Lamb, calm, peaceful Lamb, and then it's contrasted with the tiger. Maybe you know this one. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? Right? He said, the lamb and the tiger, completely different. Maybe you think God should be more like the tiger in this image, right? This great, powerful beast going into battle, right? I mean, it's this God on the throne. We see that here, too. God is on the throne here, but it's the lamb on the throne. Isn't that a weird contrast? A lamb on the throne. You know, I work with students from all sorts of religious backgrounds, um, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, um, non-religious students from all over the spectrum. And, and the students I know from other religions, the idea of God on the throne makes perfect sense. The idea of, a, of an almighty, powerful God who sits on the throne and who rules with power, that makes perfect sense. But the idea of a God who becomes the Lamb of a God who gives himself up, that is completely foreign. That is something you will only find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of a God who became man, the one God becoming man to give himself up for, for his enemies. That is completely unique. And so do you see a little taste of how when you give yourself to the Lamb, This unity we see here, this overcoming of the division and disorientation, how it's possible. I mean, if this is the one you follow, right, if this is the one, how could you continue to further divisions? How could you continue to assert your own way against others? How could you continue to say, I don't know what the good vision of life is, when this lamb has given you that vision? And we see the lamb, what does he do? He saves, right? It says, salvation belongs to the lamb. That is so countercultural. For my students, from their different backgrounds, the idea that salvation belongs to God, that it does not have to do with your good works by earning it, but it is God's grace, that is countercultural. 
right? How can you assert yourself and say, I am superior, I am greater, my way is better, when this is the God you serve, whose salvation belongs to him alone? And this lamb brings reconciliation, right? What do these people have in common in this passage? I mean, John is almost trying to drive it into our heads. They are different. Different nations, different tribes, different languages, right? He's trying to show you these people are different. They have nothing else in common. But one thing, they worship the Lamb, and that brings them together. They have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and that brings them unity. You know, you think about Jesus' disciples. We often overlook this. Jesus uh, had a disciple who was a tax collector, Uh, Tax collectors worked for the Roman government. Uh, They were often despised because they worked for the Roman government. Uh, He also um, had a a disciple that was a zealot. A zealot was someone who wanted to overthrow the Roman government, right? They were someone who wanted to run a revolution against the Roman government. Now, we have serious political divides in our communities, But this is a very serious divide. And Jesus brings these two people together and says, you are both my people and you are both following me. So Jesus, the lamb, reconciles divides. And how how is that? How can such wildly different people be reconciled together? It's because their fundamental need is the same. The fundamental need to be reconciled to God, to have their sins forgiven, to be redeemed and restored. And that is how the unity is brought. And, you know, he heals, he heals the hopeless, the lamb, doesn't he? Right, he, he tells them, you know, you're persecuted, you're suffering. Put your hope in this lamb, this lamb who was slain for you and for the salvation of all who belong to him. So this is, this is the, the God we worship. Right? This is the vision he's given to us. And so I'll close with this. What, what do we do? You know, what do we do with all of this information? Um, well, you, there's a few things you can do. One, you have good news to proclaim to your neighbors, to your friends, to your enemies. You have good news to proclaim. Your neighbors and your friends that don't know the Lord, they are so hungry for this. They want this so bad. They want this world that's depicted here. And you have good news to proclaim to them. Right? You have good news. And you also, you have, you, you have divides to be bridged. You can be a bridge amongst divisions. In your community, um, you know, we live, uh, we have the blessing to live at a time and in a place where we live in one of the most globally diverse uh, metro areas in the country. Uh, Arlington, Texas, one of the most globally diverse cities in the country. Um, not too long ago, I, I, I was picking up some students from a very large South Asian country from the airport that were coming to study at SMU. But they had a friend with him. Uh, with them, and uh, uh, has never been to church, never met a Christian. Uh, I was the first Christian, first American he'd ever met, Um, but more importantly, the first Christian he had ever met, first follower of Christ. Guess where he was headed? University of Texas at Arlington, and he said, I have a lot of friends that live in Arlington, right? There's an enormous opportunity right here in your own 
community. So start with where you are. Start in your own neighborhood. Start at your schools. Start in, in the, the uh, community groups you're a part of. Uh, the opportunities right here in Arlington are enormous for this. Um, where Nate serves, UT Arlington, uh, an enormous international student population of folks who have never met a follower of Christ, who have never read the Bible. Uh, there's just enormous opportunities to bridge these divides, to proclaim good news. I'll close with this. Um, the last thing you can do is offer hope. You know, as I said, people are, are, are struggling. They are suffering because they want this vision, and yet they've experienced that they can't, they can't get it. Um, but you have this hope to offer them when you proclaim this good news. Um, I'll close by just reading the last, last three verses here. Um, this is the hope that you have to offer the world. This is the end of the story that allows you to live your chapter well. Listen to what it says. This is referring to this great multitude. It says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There are a lot of tears in your community, I promise, and you know this. And you can offer this hope that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes because of the lamb who was slain. Because we know how the story ends, we can live our chapter well. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this vision that you've given us of unity, of giving ourselves away in worship to you of living into our true purpose that way. Lord, we are burdened because we know our world is divided. We know that our world is disoriented. We feel this. We experience this. And yet, Lord, because you are the lamb who was slain, there is hope. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we would live into that hope, that we would give good news to our neighbors, that we would bridge divides, that we would offer this hope that you've given to us, where we are all around your throne, worshiping you with a multitude that no one can count from all over the globe. Lord, this is beautiful, and we ask that you would bring it soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.